Blog Talk Radio. There is a watchman on the wall, bringing forth the written word of God to one and all. Are you getting ready? Will you stand or will you fall? Listen to the watchman on the wall. Listen to the watchman on the Rise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. A new day has dawned. All over the earth, men and women are arising. It's time for the sons of God to awake. It is a day of justice, recompense, Restoration, revival, and resurrection power. Absolutely. We're going to talk today about the Ark of the Lord. We're going to talk about the Ark of the Covenant. And there's a reason for this, okay? And I'm going to want to just get a little backdrop. How much do you know about the Ark? I mean, uh, we know that there is, uh, from the very beginning in the book of Genesis, we know that an Ark is mentioned. And uh, I want to talk about it. I want to get into it because this may very well be for you who are tuned in right now the blessing that you have been waiting for in your experience on this earth i don't know where you are i don't know where you go to church i don't know what neighborhood you live in only god does but this is in my heart to share with you and i'm sure it's coming out of what we just experienced during the feast of tabernacles and so this is very genuine And it's very raw, so there's been no studying or anything. It's just something that is coming forth and an understanding of what God wants to do and how it may impact your life today and in the days that lie ahead. And uh, it was during the Feast of Tabernacles that we were getting a very terrific download. I mean, we were just being impacted. And I, I knew it would be this way because it's always that way. That while we were worshiping and praising and studying and eating and fellowshipping and breaking bread and going through all of the wonderful 
uh, time that we had together, that behind the scenes, intrinsically, inwardly, the spirit of the Lord was doing a work in us that would further advance his kingdom, his purpose. And we're all about that. We don't have an agenda of our own. We don't have anything of our own selves that we're putting God in to make happen. We are simply being set apart to whatever he wants to do. And one of the things that God put in my heart to do this year definitely was to saturate Northwest Arkansas with speakers. As a matter of fact, in about three weeks on October 22nd, Chris and Maxine Brochu from Canada will be coming to New Wine Ministries and imparting their ministry as the Father's Heart. Uh, Brother Chris is a missionary to South Africa. He's been there for years. And what he does is he goes into the prisons. And there was one prison that he was telling me about where they had three levels of prisoners. The first level were really bad guys. The second level were really, really bad guys. And then there was a third part of the prison where it was just horrific. And that's where he went with the gospel and the message of the Father's heart. So he has deep experience in raising up sons in the faith, in the spirit, uh, discipling. Uh, he has conducted business with many people in South Africa to, you know, get South Africa, you know, up and going. And um, so he's got an amazing testimony. He will be here in Northwest Arkansas, October 22nd through the 24th. And what the Lord has put in my heart is to continue throughout the year to bring as many gifted men and women of God anointed with a message that is relevant for this moment, both for what our, you know, what's going on in the world and how God is preparing a tabernacle of David himself, okay? So this is what I'm going to be focused on this year from the perspective of a pastor. Uh, Patricia and I, in about 18 days, will have been serving the Lord together in full-time pastoral ministry for 29 years and as a pastor of the fellowship, I just feel as though the Lord has said, bring guest speakers, bring men and women of God, bring them into Northwest Arkansas, let it launch out a new wine ministry. So I will be focused on doing that. And um, I'm, I'm excited about it, quite frankly. Another thing that the Lord put in my heart, uh, which I think would have been absolutely awesome and maybe you know, we're a day behind schedule here. Maybe we're right on time. But I thought what an amazing thing it would be to have continued the Feast of Tabernacles that we just celebrated for seven days. It was absolutely transforming and life-changing. Wouldn't it be awesome to just continue it for an entire year? And for one year, the saints of God gather together, breaking bread, going up to the ark, pitching the tent, having meals, you know, fellowshipping, having different guest speakers coming and going within this region and impacting the region and creating an atmosphere and a portal and an environment for the saints of God to come into, get fed, get refreshed. You know, that was really deep in my spirit. And uh, I am, I, I need to pray more about what I am sensing because it's just kind of, you know, can you imagine one straight year, 365 days, nonstop, speakers, guests, prophecy, worship, praise, gathering together, out of the world, come up, celebrate the Lord? And, uh, I, you know, I know there's a lot of questions and what ifs, and, you know, I'll leave that to the organizers. But spiritually speaking, I think it is a one-year sabbatical 
for God's kids to just come up, come out of her, my people type of thing, and celebrate the Lord. I think it would be life-changing, 365 days every day, healings, miracles, signs, wonders, a portal of heaven. I believe we'd see such miracles and prayer, and it would be fantastic. So, and I believe it's possible. I believe it's very possible. So that's another thing we're thinking about. But today, it came into my heart how to, and I know this is, I believe with all my heart, this is from the Father's heart, how to incorporate you, the listener of this broadcast, uh, into the purpose of what God is doing today and how it would bless your life. And I'm going to share that with you. And you tell me what you think at the end of it. So uh, let's go back to the very beginning of, you know, in the book of Genesis, in chapter 6. That's the first time we hear the word ark. And it's in uh, Genesis 6:14 where God's telling Noah in verse 14, make thee an ark. Okay. And the word ark there was the teba. It's a little bit different than the other ark we're going to talk about. It's the teba, and it meant a basket vessel um, in which Moses was placed. Remember when they made a little ark for Moses when he was escaping? We'll read about that in just a moment, but that was a safe place, a little basket. So the word ark here is the vessel which Noah built, and uh, there's really not much more to say other than it was a box, a box, an ark. So God tells us about, about making this ark. And then we read that all the way through Genesis chapter 6, all the way through Genesis chapter 7, all the way through Genesis chapter 8, chapter 9. Then we get into Exodus chapter 2 and 3, all right? So the last time we hear it in Genesis 9, 18, were the sons of Noah that went forth of the ark. So after Noah's ark experience, they went out of the ark. That's the last time we hear about that particular ark uh, at the time. But then in Exodus chapter 2, um, it says in verse 3, and when she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark, speaking of Moses, the baby, and uh, an ark of bulrushes, and daubed it with slime and with pitch, and put the child therein, and she laid it in the flags of the river's brink. So again, this is Moses's ark. When he was a baby, it was provided for him, and it was a box, it was a shelter, it was a protection, okay, just like Noah's ark was. So now in the economy of God, you go into Exodus chapter 25. And for, uh, for this moment here, this is part of the economy of God forever. And in Exodus 25:10, and again, this is very raw. Okay, we're not, we're not, we're not, we haven't studied this out altogether yet, but there's, there's, a, there's a pattern here, and I, I want us to get it. So <clears throat> Exodus 25:10, God speaking to Moses said, and they shall make an ark. And this word ark is a little bit different than the Noah's ark. This is the Aron, kind of the same meaning, but this carries a, a box in the sense of gathering. It's an ark. It's a chest, like a treasure chest, or it's like a coffin, okay? It's a box. And so God is telling Moses to tell the people that they shall make an ark of shittim wood, two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half, and the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. So he's given the dimensions of this ark. And then he says in verse 14 of Exodus 25, and you shall put the stabs into the rings by the sides of the ark that the ark may be born with them. So in other words, uh, there were, there were going to be rings in this box, one on the left, one on the right, 
front, middle, back, front, middle, back. They would put a pole through it, and it would be able to be carried. So this ark was intended by God to be carried. Well, what was in the ark? Okay? So in verse 16, it says, And you shall put into the ark the testimony which I shall give you. Now, the testimony, okay, the ark of the testimony is the aduth, and that word means just a witness. So it's a tabernacle of witness. It's an ark of the testimony of God. And then it says in verse 21 of Exodus 25, and you shall put the mercy seat above upon the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. And verse 22 says, and there I will meet with you and I will commune with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims, which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things, which I will give you in commandment unto the children of Israel. So again, this is God giving instructions about building this box, putting the testimony inside of it, putting the mercy seat above it, on top of it with the cherubim, and that God would commune with them. So this ark had to do with the presence of God as well. And then we read um, in verse 33 of Exodus 26, um, and you shall hang up the veil under the tashes that you may bring in thither within the veil the ark of the testimony, and the veil shall divide unto you between the holy place and the most holy. So now the ark is going into the holy of holies, okay? The cherubim, the mercy seat, and there was going to be a veil that separated the holy place where the priests would do their work and the most holy place where the high priest would go in once a year, and it was where the ark was. And so now we read in verse 34 of Exodus 26, and thou shalt put the mercy seat upon the ark of the testimony in the most holy place. So there's something about this ark that belongs in the most holy place. And thou shalt put it in, this is Exodus 30, chapter, uh, chapter 30, verse 6. Now, Exodus chapter 30, verse 6. I'm just giving you some background on the ark. And thou shalt put it before the veil, that is by the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat, that is over the testimony. And where I will meet with you. So this is the meeting place. I mean, that's pretty significant when you start talking about the meeting place, the gathering place, this ark of the testimony. In uh, verse 26, Exodus 30, verse 26, and thou shalt anoint the tabernacle of the congregation therewith and the ark of the testimony. So there's an anointing of the tabernacle. Now that word tabernacle is the ohel, which means the habitation, the sacred tent of Yehovah, okay? Uh, it talks about a home, a, a dwelling place, a home and a dwelling place. So Moses was commanded to anoint the tabernacle, the dwelling place of the congregation, therewith, and the ark of the testimony. So there's an anointing. Now we go into Exodus 31, verse 7, and it says, in Exodus 31, verse 7, the tabernacle of the congregation and the ark of the testimony and the mercy seat that is thereupon and all the furniture of the tabernacle, okay? Then it talks about the ark of the stabs with the mercy seat, the veil, and there's a lot of instruction behind all of these things. Now, I want to fast forward because 
I'm looking at pages and pages and pages of scripture that are dealing with the ark. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle and, you know, it just goes on and on about this ark. And I'm going to be doing a complete study on this at New Wine Ministry uh, this weekend. So because it's connected to the tabernacle and during the Feast of Tabernacles, we were talking about the tabernacle of David being raised up in the last days according to Acts chapter 15, that the residue of men may seek after the Lord. So when the tabernacle is raised up, which had fallen, that now when it's raised up, the, the residue of men will seek for the Lord because the tabernacle has something to do with the salvation of the nation. So we're going to see that as well. But I wanted to get just a little bit further down the road. I'm still looking. Exodus, Leviticus, um, uh, Numbers, the book of Numbers. Then it goes all the way into... Uh, Numbers and Deuteronomy talks about the ark. Joshua talks about the ark. Um, it goes into, well, there's a lot in the Judges and then First Samuel. So where I want to land right now in this conversation is I want to go to Second Samuel. Second Samuel. And I want to start in about verse 3. Okay. Now let's go to verse 2. All right, I'm just going to hit a few key verses, and then we're going to land somewhere concerning the ark. So in 2 Samuel chapter 2, and I'll begin in verse 1. What the heck? All right, so 2 Samuel 6, 1. Again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. So here you have a gathering by King David, 30,000 uh, chosen men. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baal of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwells between the cherubim. So God dwelt between the cherubim in the mercy seat, right? And he's above it. That's what we just read. And then in verse 3, and they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah, and Uzzah, and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. So they were steering it. Verse 4, and they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark, one of the sons. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of fir wood, even on harps and on psalteries and on timbrels, on cornets and on cymbals. And when they came to Nacon, so you could see that they're bringing the ark back to Jerusalem and David is worshiping and dancing. The people are making music. They're rejoicing. And in verse six, we read this. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah, put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. So in other words, while they're rejoicing and worshiping and praising God, they got into a certain place and the oxen hit this area and it shook the ark. So he went to save it. Now, the moment he went and stuck out his hand, you know what happens in the story. It says in verse 7, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And God smote him there for his error, and there he died by the ark of God. You know what God was saying to Uzzah and to the whole nation of Israel? I don't need your help. 
I don't need you to put your hand on my dwelling place. I don't need you to put your hand on my work. And that's really, you don't think God is able to stabilize his own ark? And so this, again, in the good intention of men, they put their hand on the work of God and they suffer greatly for it. It is an error to put the hand of man on the work of God. We have to learn that lesson. It's a very valuable lesson. Profound, you know, because we all have this tendency to want to help God. God doesn't need our help. We need his help. Someone said amen. Now, in verse 8, David was displeased, I bet, because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perez-Uzzah to this day. Okay, so David is having a tough time. Now, listen, here's what I want you to hear, okay? This is what I want you to hear. I believe God put this in my heart for you and I to come into a relationship, a covenant relationship before the Lord for his work to be done, okay? We're not going to touch God's work. We're going to let God's work be known, and then we're going to be called into whatever he wants us to do. And here it is, verse 6, or excuse me, verse 9. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how shall the ark of the Lord come to me? So David's afraid of the Lord. David's displeased. David doesn't know why the Lord just struck Uzziah dead, right? And so, or Uzzah dead, and he's is afraid. How is it going to happen? So verse 10. So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David, but David carried it aside into the house of Obedidim, or Obedidim, Obedidim, okay? So he carried this tabernacle aside into the house, or this ark. He carried the ark into the house of Obedidim, or Obedidim, Obedidim, the Gittite. And verse 11 says, And the ark of the Lord, Continued in the house of Obedidim, the Gittite, three months, and the Lord blessed Obedidim and all his household. And then it says in verse 12, and it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obedidim and all that pertaineth unto him, because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obedidim into the city of David with gladness. And it was so when they bare the ark of the Lord had gone six paces. So what was happening? There was a period of time where David had to get himself aligned with the Lord and understand the Father's heart, right? The Lord's heart. But the striking thing that, that I see in this story is that for a period of time, the ark of the Lord was in the house of a man. And when the ark of the Lord was in the house of the man, the Lord blessed that house and everything that pertained to that house, the whole household. He blessed Obedidim and all his household. And so when David saw that he had blessed the house of Obedidim and all that pertained unto him, now David 
understood some things. He worked it out in his heart, and he's ready to bring it back. You've been following our ministry for some time now, and we have done everything we know how to do to share and break bread with you and to tell you what God has put in our heart and how we minister the word of God. We have mentioned it before, and I believe today with what God is doing since the Feast of Tabernacles, bring speakers in, consider a one-year Feast of Tabernacle gathering, if you will. I know that would take a lot to do. But this is a third thing that God has stirred in my belly, and I'm talking pastoral now. It was not too long ago that we had made our announcement that the vision that God has given us was to go throughout this nation and to form home fellowships and to bring the glory of God into homes. We believe, I believe, that nearly 30 years ago, God gave me a vision when he took me up into the heavens, and I was suspended in space, in the darkness of space. And as I was suspended in space, I moved around, and I could see the earth, and I began to descend upon the earth, and I could make out the continents. And then I saw the North American continent, and I could see the little tail of Florida. And I remember as I was going down, there was a a blackout. It was just dark. It was a dark earth, but there were little, and this is in North America, and I could see these little lights that were on. And as I was going down, this is 30 years ago when I didn't know anything about anything. I just, you know, wasn't even a pastor at that time. I shared this in Zarephath, New Jersey on a radio station the first months I was made a pastor, just a couple of months into the pastoral ministry. I remember sharing this vision. So as I'm coming down, I see the lights. And When I landed, I realized in the vision that there were little houses with lights on. And there was a man who was terrified, very scared, charcoal gray, like Russia had taken over, was the only way to describe it in those days. And he was afraid, and he knocked on a door, and a man of God opened the door. And you've probably heard this story. And the man of God had x-ray vision and looked right into the man's soul and looked at him as he was standing, filling the door frame, and knew he was playing games with God. He was part of a mega church, but he was doing all the things you shouldn't be doing as a believer in Christ. And he was just terrified for his flesh and wanted a place to come in and hide. Then I went into the living room, and I heard the most beautiful sounding worship music I've ever heard in my life. There was a person laying on a couch, about seven or eight people in this living room. The light was on. There was a golden flask of oil with the lid off that the fragrance filled the room. And the glory of God was in that living room. So the man of God would not let that man into the house because he knew if I let that man into the house, his conduct, his, what he's carrying on the inside of him is going to quench and grieve and, and break the anointing. It would spoil it. So the man of God would not let that man into that living room. This happened 30 years ago in a vision. Today, we realize that we're living in a nuclear age and a lights-out area of uh, cronial mass ejections, electromagnetic pulses, uh, lights-out scenarios where things go dark, and that God said that he would set a defense upon all the glory upon the houses of Israel. That's in Isaiah chapter 4. So I have carried this vision with me for a very long time. I became a pastor in 1992, 
And between 1994 and 1997, we, Patricia and I, we uh, had an RV and we went throughout this nation and we started home fellowships in Jersey City, New Jersey, Winston-Salem, North Carolina, Virginia Beach, Virginia, Jacksonville, Florida. We were working in Arizona, Alabama. We already had California. So we were out there and everywhere we showed up, we were invited to go teach a Bible study. And before you know it, people were coming in and Patricia was in the deliverance ministry and I was preaching the word of God. And so these home fellowships would develop. And then the only way to, to make them settle is we called for the deacons that were in the house church in, in San Diego, and we called them out of their deaconship, and we set them in these homes to pastor them. Okay, this is what was going on in our lives in 1994 to 1997. So we had a fully functioning home fellowship movement going on, and every year during the Feast of Tabernacles, we would gather together, and I remember in those days we were gathering together at the Founders Inn in Virginia Beach, Virginia, a 700 Club Pat Robertson facility, and all the different churches would bring their people, and we'd have this time of celebration, the Feast of Tabernacles. Well, our work was challenged deeply, and <clears throat> by the time we got into the late 1990s, uh, everything had settled down. It didn't work. We lost it and things kind of just moved out. Nothing wasted. It was an incredible experience. I was a very young pastor, a very young, ambitious pastor. I had nothing but the desire to really move out and was pretty, putting people in positions, and the enemy got in there. And I don't want to go into all the detail, but we survived it, and we're back here now, and we're how many years down the road? 25 years down the road now. And it is in my heart because I believe that it's the Father's heart to have home fellowships started across this country. But here's the deal. In Obadidam's family, in Obadidam's home, when the Ark of the Covenant came into his house, the blessing was there. We teach Bible studies in homes and have been doing it for a long time. And we have noted that every single home that opens their door to the Bible study, so where we can go in and teach and do the work that God's called us to do, that there's a blessing on that home. There's a blessing. Now, we're, we're dealing with information. We're looking back at something that was done, and we're going, wow, look what happens. We're not doing it for that reason. We know that before we ever told this story about Obadidam, that God has already, back in the 1990s, told us what to do. Get ready. Home fellowships. That's where the church is going. That's where the glory of God is going to be. But there are people need to be encouraged. When we first started, I got born again in a home fellowship. I was raised up in a home fellowship in, in a woman's house by the name of Joy. It was a beautiful house. It was connected to a prophetic word by a prophet by the name of Carrie Bowles that spoke to my pastor and his wife about in 1982 that their ministry would be launched out of a home and that there would be a candle on the uh, fireplace, on the mantle of a fireplace, and that, that candle would burn bright, and the wax that would rip, uh, drip down the side of the candle would represent the anointing that would spill over into other people's lives. Well, that was in 1982 that Pastor Paul, my pastor, and, and Patricia had got the word of the Lord, and they actually started their home fellowship 
we had a beautiful home in San Diego, California, at a woman named Joy's house who had a big fireplace with a mantle, and they put the candle on it. And we are here today out of that work that began in 1987. And so the, the, since 1987, so much has transpired, and we've done so many different things. Now we're at this moment, and I believe that our work, the work that God wants us to do beyond just being on you know, podcasts and radio and all that stuff and preaching the, behind our pulpit, we have been raising up pastors. We have pastors in our fellowship that are just ready to go into their calling, into their ministry. And the only thing that is lacking at this moment, because the way we do things may be different than the way other people do things. I grew up in a ministry where my pastor, our Paul Carroll, uh, was one of the most non-religious people you would ever meet in your life. And yet he was one of the most profound apostolic figures I've ever known. And he never called himself an apostle, believe me. But if there's anything called an apostle, Paul was it. And he was always of the impression that he was not called by God. Now, he was about six foot, three, four. You know, he was a big man. He had been involved in a lot of great stuff. Uh, people loved him. He was a teddy bear of a man. He was an incredible man. And, he, and, and people could have a tendency to kind of elevate him, and he kept rejecting that idea. And he, he had the saying, I'm never going to get above your knees. I'm going to minister to you to build your life up. But he always said he's not a CEO of a big organization, that his calling was to raise up the five-fold ministry, that the purpose of the calling of our Paul Carroll was called to the people that would come to the Bible study, which began with three people, his wife being one of those people around his kitchen table is where his ministry began out of obedience to a chaplain from San Diego Padres, Nate Colbert, who used to play for the Padres, also became a chaplain for the Padres, came to Paul's house, anointed him to be a pastor, called him into the ministry, which Paul was running from. He didn't want anything to do with that. He was an entrepreneurial businessman. But yet he yielded, he submitted, and he became a pastor. He turned the chairs around in his living room. He and his wife taught two people their first Bible study. And out of that, it just grew to everything we've been experiencing all these years. Now, Pastor Paul died in 1991. Ten months later, the elders of the church called me into the ministry. I stepped into that position, and I've been doing it now for 29 years, coming up this October 18th. <clears throat> so, but his idea was, what God told him, I don't want you to build a church on a corner. There's enough of those. I want you to find the people. I'm going to bring people into your ministry that have a calling on their life. They have a calling on their life. There's, there's a certain gifting in them. Okay? Not the general gifting of the Holy Spirit so you can pray in tongues. There's a calling in ministry upon their lives. And I'm going to bring them to you, and you're going to labor in their lives to bring them into a sanctified position so that that gift could come forward and then I want you to send them out. And, and Paul used to say, if I'm here for longer than three and a half years, I have failed my commission. And guess what? He pastored for three and a half years and the Lord took him. It was amazing. But anyways, our work in this ministry follows that pattern. We don't have a bunch of pastors in our fellowship. We have one pastor in New Wine Ministries, and it's Patricia and I. But we've raised up 
several pastors, and we want to send them. That's our calling, to send them, okay, because it's an extension of our work. But there needs to be the calling of God, and there needs to be homes. Like Obadiah, who accepted the ark into his home, and his whole household was blessed because it was of the Lord. We have raised up pastors that we believe are truly of the Lord. They are gifted. They are anointed. They have endured chastening with the Lord personally. They have allowed for instruction to come into their hearts. They have been anointed. They have been ordained. And the anointing and ordination upon their lives has been excellent. We've had the honor of being the ones who ordained them. We want to send them. And I'm going to ask you, our listener, about your life, your home. You may go home and then go to a church. What would you sense about opening your home, gathering a few of your friends and family to come and allow the pastors that we're sending to begin a work in your home? I believe like Obadiah, that there would be a great blessing. And of course, there's always opposition to the purposes of God. I get that. And so you would have to go before the Lord and pray and say, all right, I'm living here in Indianapolis, Indiana, and uh, I'm here. I've been looking for a pretty good church, but, you know, I follow your ministry because, uh, you know, there's something of it. and and, And, you know, I would open my home. And I have a few friends that I could call and invite, and, and you could bring the pastors, and we'll give it a period of time, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll set it up, and we'll, we'll move. And, of course, Patricia and I would come along with our pastors to introduce them with you, to meet your congregation, to meet your friends and family, tell them our vision, tell them what we're all about, why we're doing what we're doing, and then we would set those pastors in that region starting in your home, and then wherever it goes from there, again, they would be raising up, and and God would be sending to them people that are gifted for the ministerial call. And this is where I see God being fruitful and multiplying, God's pattern of be fruitful and multiply. And what happens in these ecclesias, these home fellowships, the glory of God comes, there are healings. We saw it. I grew up in it. We saw the miraculous, the healings, in, our, in the home fellowships, and the glory of God, and the discipline, and the discipleship that you can't get in a mega church, in your little cell groups, not to the degree that, I, you know, God will do things, and I believe my life is a, an example of what true discipleship is about, and being under the pastoral covering, and submitting, and yielding, and allowing for the word to penetrate and pierce the heart, so that when we do go, we can stand. And we've stood for 29 years by the grace of God Almighty, but I believe it's time, and I'm asking you to consider, to pray, will you open your home? Will you gather a few friends, talk to a few friends? Hey, would you guys be interested in having Pastor Vince and Patricia uh, come into our neck of the woods and and bring some pastors with them that they want to uh, establish in this place to teach, to break bread, to, to pastor? Uh, to be there with the purpose and understanding of bringing the glory of God into our lives for prayer and transformation. And I'm telling you, the pastors that we have ordained, 
They have caring hearts for people. And they just have caring hearts. They have been seasoned. They have been through some things. And they are now in a position ready to go. And we're ready to launch them. And I think and believe the time is right now. And I believe that those who will, will experience a blessing. A blessing. Maybe a lot of questions. A lot of questions. We're living in the last days. Well, again, in the vision, I saw these little lighthouses, one over here and one over here. They were spread out. They were strategic. They were set by God. And it's where the work of the Lord was being done. It was simple. It was beautiful. It was filled with the glory and the presence of God. I saw this, and I believe in it. So, we are ready. And if you have a desire, you go before the Lord, and you say, you know what, I'm willing, Father, to present my house for your purpose, for that your tabernacle, your ark, your presence will come into my home. At one time, in the first home we were in, there were so many people, we had to do all the work on the house because it would shake in the vibration of praise and worship. We have people sitting on floors, on stairs. I mean, it was absolutely marvelous, but the presence of God was there. I know what it could look like. I've been a part of it. I've seen it. We're looking for those homes. Particularly, particularly three We'd like to see three homes open so that the purpose and calling on the pastor's lives that we have ordained can go forth. And we can see what God will do. Now, in the story of Obedidim, the ark was in the home for three months. And so I would say, give it three months. Allow these pastors with their giftings of the prophetic, their words of knowledge, wisdom, uh, the anointing on their life, the care, the love they carry in the, in the concern for Christ and his people. Give it three months. A trial basis, three months. Let's see what happens. Will people come in? Will they get healed? Will prayers be answered? Will there be somebody there for you that you can go to and actually touch rather than going to a mega church and never being able to touch the pastor? Somebody you could go to lunch with. Somebody you could spend time with. Somebody you could allow your soul to be poured out to. A pastor. A real pastor. See, I had that. I had that in a home. And boy, do I miss it. I haven't had it for 29, 30 years now because Pastor Paul went away. I've never had another pastor in my life. I've got my best friend in the whole world that's better than a pastor. My wife, Patricia Joy Xavier, who carries the glory of God in her every day of her life. So I, I've been blessed with that. But if there's something unique about having a pastor. When my pastor was alive, I used to, I want to send him on vacation. I want to take him to play golf. I want to go and have lunch. And we did it all the time. He always found time for Vincent Xavier, the most desperate, needy man on the planet. And yet all of the unction, all of that blessing came into my life because that man of God entered into my life. We want to be a part of this. We want to do it. We're not just sending people and abandoning ship. We want to be there for the introductions. We want to share. We want to break bread. We'll spend a week 
just telling people what we're doing and what we've learned and what we believe, and we'll see where it's at. And then just set those pastors in that home, get, get them set up in that region, a place to live, you know, do all the things that have to be done, and let the work begin. They don't have to live in your house. Don't worry about that. They won't have to live in your house. God will provide. God will show us how to do it. But you see, we have these pastors now. They're walking around our little church. We have a little church. Or maybe 50, 60 people, our little New Wine Ministry church. We influence globally, no doubt about that. We have global influence. But we're a tiny little church. And we're a family. And the number one thing we heard all week long is how much love was in our congregation. That's what people said again. Not too much about, wow, what a profound prophetic word, anointed word. I mean, they were good, but that's not the report. The report was, I have never felt that kind of love. And we want to send that to you. And you better behave yourselves because we're going to have to figure, make sure you're in a good place, right? But I'm telling you the truth from my heart. I'm sharing with you my vision. I'm sharing you with what God has put in me 30 years ago. And if you are bearing witness, you know, the Holy Spirit could right now go, yeah, that's it. I want to do this. And it'd be awesome for a husband and a wife to come together and say, yeah, we could share our home. We could open our home for a Bible study. We could allow for pastors to come in and, and um, you know, we could develop a relationship with them and uh, they with us. And, and we could take this and give that trial run of three months and see how things go knowing there will be opposition and personality things, blah, blah, blah. Or maybe God will just do it, what I saw in my vision, and it will be so filled with the glory of God, you won't even see a man. It will just be God's presence over and over and over again, manifesting forth in the glory of God. So we're going to keep doing what we do here. We're going to allow for people to come in and speak and impart to our church because we all need to be fed. I need to be fed. And... Our fellowship needs to hear, not just from me all the time, or, you know, um, they, need, they, they need speakers to come in and impart, like we saw from Pastor Kevin Honeycutt, Pastor Dave and Victoria uh, Obenauer, like from Pastor Ken Maddox, like from Pastor Melissa and Chad Fletcher. You know, they brought the word of the Lord. They imparted into our ministry and to the people that were here. And we were so thankful for that. And then we had our own pastors, Pastor Mike, Pastor Ken. You know, they brought the word of the Lord as well. They did an excellent job. It was good. And we all did, we all did our part. So we're going to do our part. But I wanted to share with you today. We desire to start home fellowships. Anointed, appointed, and blessed by God in your home. If there are three of you that are out there that would say, you could come to our home. You could come to my city. You could come to my state. You could come to my neighborhood. You could come to my house. We will welcome you. And you come and you want to start teaching and breaking bread and praying and doing a pastoral work, we'll receive that. It's got a covering under New Wine Ministries, under Pastor Vince and Patricia. We'll trust that. We'll do that. We'll, we'll move in that direction. This is our vision. This is our calling. We had a RV donated to us for the cause of being able to travel throughout this country to do this work. 
And then whatever happens in those, you know, home fellowships, and anything could happen. People can come together, buy their own land, build their own arcs. They can do whatever. But it's more about the internal, intrinsic feeding, the value, the glory of God ministering to the body of Christ. So that's where I'm at. That's what I'm thinking. And I've witnessed it. And this is what's in my heart today. We know the judgment that's on our nation. We, we understand it. We also know that God is raising up the tabernacle of David, right? So what I see in connection with the message of God raising up the tabernacle of David, which is a tabernacle of his love and power and all the good stuff that God's in, well, to raise it up in these home fellowship, that's where the building goes on. Because remember, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher are fivefold ministry gifts to build up the body of Christ. And the tabernacle has fallen. That's what David said, right? In Amos, the tabernacle has fallen. But God's going to raise it up in the last days. And the message I believe that we carry is not a lukewarm, compromised, fluffing stuff, as Pastor Kevin Honeycutt would say. It's not fluffing stuff. It's, uh, and Pastor David would say these things. Um, it's, it's, the, it's a meaty word. And it's intended to grow up the people who are willing to grow up into the deep things of God. I want you to pray about it. I'm going to ask you please to pray about it. I ask you to think about it. Having said that, I want to go and just say good morning to some of our friends over here. And if you have any questions or comments, you can give us a call right now. At, uh, the telephone number is 818-369-0326. I want to say good morning this morning in the chat room to our dear friends, Charlotte Gotch. You're always number one up there, Charlotte. God bless you. Thanks for Tuning in once again. Uh, Pastor Melissa Fletcher, good morning. Good morning to you, Pastor Melissa. Folks, you got to hear, you got to go on Facebook and, or YouTube, and you got to listen to the ministers of God that came into the region, hear their messages. It was, it was awesome. Uh, we have a good morning from Omega Radio. He says, hood, hood morning. Well, it's a good morning. Melissa says, yes, the Feast of Tabernacles was wonderful. The presence of the Lord permeated the atmosphere. I agree. And it was just a foretaste of where God wants to bring these things. I believe that with all my heart. Cindy Messman says, good morning, Pastor Vince. Good morning to you. Uh, Cindy, God bless you. Thank you for all you do in the ministry. Uh, Chuck Eastridge is with us today. Hey, Chuck, good to see you. God bless you, sir. Uh, you and your family. Uh, Cindy is saying hello and pray, praying for three homes. Okay, good, good. Keep praying. And where are we at here? 48 minutes into the broadcast. All right, I want to give you an opportunity to just, I shared three things with you. A one-year Feast of Tabernacle kind of environment that will shift atmospheres, create environments, be awesome. No doubt in my mind. We've been kind of lost since the feast ended, kind of a little spiritual depression, if you will. Sad that everybody's gone, right? Um, listen, having people come in to speak, gathering for a year, people coming and going from all over the world. Do you, you know what kind of portal would be open in that? And then home fellowships. What are your thoughts? Are you in, are you interested in what we're talking about? I mean, this is where our lives want to go. We understand a little bit. We've learned how this could work. And we're ready to put our entire life focus into it because we believe 
It is our Father's heart. And it's not to the negation of any churches. That's not our business. What goes on in mega churches, what goes on in uh, churches on the court, that's not our business. I just believe this is what God wants us to do. There's something very intimate. There's something very personal. There's something very deep. Now, a lot of people like to go to church where it's not so intimate and it's not so personal. But you never really get to the nitty-gritty of what's going on in your life under those conditions. Because you, we are like onions. you got to keep peeling back the layers, peeling back the layers, until you get down to the, the root of what's going on so that there could be a personal deliverance and a healing and a salvation and a restoration in your personal life. This, remember, when the presence, when the ark was in Obadidom's house, it blessed his whole family. I believe that. I believe that's a prophetic word, that God will bless your home and your family and you and everything that pertains to you. Not such a bad deal. And it's written in the word of God. How did the early church begin? House to house. They were in homes, in a time of persecution, in a time where Saul was wreaking havoc among the churches. Where were they meeting? In big synagogues? No, they were meeting in homes. When Peter was released from prison, he knocked on the door of a home where Dorcas was there, and they were all praying. And remember, it was on a home. It's all in the homes. As it was in the beginning, so shall it be in the end. It's a movement of God's kingdom to bring people that have been hurt, people that have been abused in churches, or people that have been confused by the Babylonian doctrine, to sit down for a few weeks and a few months and get things lined up. You know, we have people come do it. We teach a, in a home fellowship every Tuesday night. We teach Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Saturday night, Sunday, and then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I mean, we do a lot of teaching, but on Tuesday night, we had a woman came, and this was a few months ago, and she was fully involved in the pre-trib rapture. She was definitely involved. One meeting, she called back a few days later. She says, I'm done with that pre-trib rapture stuff. You just showed me the word of God. Well, praise God. That's not a victory for us. We got one. No. If somebody came to an understanding that what she was listening to was not true, and it straightened out her thinking on some things. Good morning, Sandra Matlow. God bless you, Sandra. We're talking about some personal issues in this ministry of what God wants us to be doing. Waiting for your call, 818-369-0326. I can imagine somebody out there going, man, should I call in and should I say, here, I'm going to, my home's open. Let's do it. Let's go today. I've got pastors ready to go today. Serious. And, and because of the elongation of time, you know, they're, they're kind of getting involved, looking locally, looking locally. You know, we could start a home fellowship. It was my desire to start a home fellowship move, movement right here in Northwest Arkansas, many homes. But, you know, there's just something that maybe we haven't been ready, but I sense we are ready now. Sandra says you're preaching the right and the truth. May God bless you. Thank you, Sandra. God bless you. I appreciate that. But we're waiting for your call. And if, and if you're not interested in, um, not, not not interested, if you're just kind of like, let me, let me see law this. Let me pray about this. That's fine. That's absolutely fine. But we sure would love to hear from you about this issue. Um, you know, why is it important to me? I just tapped into the Feast of Tabernacles. Again, hosted it 31 years. And I just tapped into 
The reason why I do it every year. It's God's, number one. But what, I, what happens is you tap into an anointing. You tap into an environment. You tap into an atmosphere. And just when you start rolling after that first seven days, and then it's over, it's like going from a mountaintop into a valley all in one clear swoop. And I could just imagine the first week, the second week, a whole new group of people coming from different places. And the next week, for 52 weeks, different ministers of God, you know, people around the world will hear of what God's doing in this region. And it's in our heart. It's in our heart. We're not kind of making things up or stealing what somebody else is doing. This is our heart. This is our beat. This is our work, our ministry. This is what we tapped into. And we all knew after seven days how phenomenal it was, but it was a tiny little taste. It's like when Patricia, my wife, she makes spaghetti. She's full-blooded Italian. When she makes a spaghetti sauce, it's in this huge, beautiful pot of spaghetti. She's got all the ingredients. Oh, she's got her secret ingredient. Mamma mia, right? So Patricia will ask me, Will you taste this? So I go in, I get this little tiny spoon, and I dip it in the sauce, and I taste it. And I go, either it needs a little more salt or to this or it needs that, and I taste it. And when she nails it and I taste it, all of my senses begin to dance because my Italian part of my, my, who I am, my Italian is, woo, it's dancing time. It's like, all right. The sauce is coming. So that little sauce that I tasted is only a taste of my plate of macaroni, my spaghetti, my penne, my rabbit, whatever it's going to be. I'm going to have a whole plate of that sauce. And what we just had was a foretaste, a tiny little taste of what eternity is going to be like. The ingathering of God's people in the presence of God. It's all a rehearsal. For the great in gathering at the end of the age, one week. What if we just kept going for another week? And then the third week. And then the fourth week. And then the fifth week. What would happen if we really did hear the call of God? Come out of her, my people. Stop building Egypt's pyramids and Babylon's buildings. Come in to the kingdom environment and be built into, right? I mean, we would have the spaghetti sauce on the plate. Then we would have the whole pot of spaghetti sauce. I mean, a whole big pot. The glory, in other words, will increase. We just tasted it. But how many of you know you need to go more than seven days to step into something and tap into the, the meat of it, the richness, the fatness of it? the anointing of it. Sandra says, I enjoy watching your services every time y'all have service live. I also love to hear Patricia preach when she's up there. Yeah, me too. I asked her this morning, Sandra. I said, hey, would you like to do the broadcast today? And she said, got too much to do. She's on the phone all day long, every day ministering and counseling. But I'm going to get her out here. We'll get her out here. She needs to be out here. Remember, if you're going to call into the program, you'd like to share a thought, a comment, anything, uh, the number 818-369-0326. And, of course, press 1 on your dial pad. Another thing I'm going to 
uh, put out there today. Um, we don't do it often, but it is the last day of September. And so I'm asking you about opening your home. I'm asking you about what it would be like to gather together for 52 weeks straight in an environment where it was all happening like the Feast of Tabernacles. And um, I'm going to ask you also to consider sowing into this ministry, sowing into the ministry. It's the last day of September. We have bills to pay. We have bills to pay for the computer that we use for all of it. You know it is. So we are just asking for you to consider sowing a gift, a seed into this ministry. And our prayer is always that God's word says he'll multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. So if you would consider prayerfully a, a, a very purposeful offering to the work that we are doing, and you would like to sow into our work, we would appreciate and value that, especially on this final day of September. And so I leave that with you as well. So we're asking for a number of things um, today. We're asking for your financial support into the work that we do, no doubt. It's, it's important. It shows partnership. It shows connection, covenant. I think that's a good thing. It's biblical. You know, communicate with those who teach you in all manner of good things. I mean, it's biblical New Testament. So we want to thank you for that. We're also asking about your home being opened in wherever you're at. We're also asking about, would you, you know, what would you think about a 52-week Feast of Tabernacles setting? We're also asking about, um, you know, people that are going to be coming, speakers that will be asking to come and impart into the lives of the people here in Northwest Arkansas and people that will come to hear them. Um, this is it's kind of this is the reality. This is the uh, meat and bones of who we are in our ministry and our work. Sandra says needs to be up there most. She touches all of us women's hearts. We just love her. Yeah, she's she's that awesome. I agree. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. God bless you. Uh, she was called, by the way, during the Feast of Tabernacles. Can you believe this? My wife, Patricia Joy Xavier, was called by. Pastor Kevin Honeycutt and others, a four-star general. And I told Pastor Honeycutt, I said, Pastor, you have just really made my life difficult. And he said, what are you talking about? I said, last night you proclaimed Patricia to be a four-star general. Do you know what it's like to live in a home with a four-star general? And we all laughed about it. And then it's okay. I love the fact that people look at my wife and see a seasoned saint of God Almighty and call her a four-star general in the body of Christ. And she's all of that and more. Uh, and I love that. So, yeah, Chuck, you know what I mean? I mean, can you imagine coming home, your wife's telling you, you know, you got to salute. <laughs> Pick up your clothes. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> so, anyways, that's all good, man. I love that. That's all good. So um, think about it. Pray about it. Consider three homes in the environment of where we are today and make it more personal. Make it more personal. I believe God's word says you will be blessed. You will be blessed. The blessing of the Lord will come into your home. 
I've seen it happen. I've watched it. I've lived through it. It's a call. I believe it's a call going out over the airwaves. Contact me off the air. Contact me. Let me know. Say, hey, Pastor Vince, I'm open. My wife and I, or I, or we, I'm open. We'll, we'll receive one of your pastors. We'll, we'll give it a trial run. We'll open it up for three months because we're going to have to get through the opposition period of the enemy that always tries to divide and conquer. So but, but you, you send them. We'll know something right up front. They'll know something right up front. We'll see if there's reason to move forward. Let's do it. What else are we going to do on planet Earth? Why not start home fellowships and see the glory of God moving through vessels that have been prepared for this very thing? And then, you know, ultimately what happens is you you start releasing, let's say that there's three home fellowships. Okay, This this is our vision. This is the raw data of what we believe. Let's say there are three churches out there, one in uh, Texas somewhere, one in Indiana somewhere, one in uh, Wisconsin. Let's say three, okay? And let's say that these three pastors go out to these three homes and people start coming. They're getting ministered to. There's a blessing. People love it. And they fall in love with their pastors. Their pastors fall in love with them. They start growing. And then now you could release the evangelist. And the evangelist, when he comes... He goes to each one of those homes at different times and releases the evangelical anointing because it's one of the fivefold ministry gifts to the body. The evangelist is not just for the unredeemed world. Remember, the uh, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher is to the house of God to build it up. So now you have the evangelist who loves to go and about and bring the gospel message, and he's going. Now he's got three houses to go to, three ecclesias to go and impart to. And then those three raised up another three, and now you've got nine. And so what you have now is, is you have this other. Then the prophets are released. The prophetic word is released into those homes. Then the apostolic anointing, uh, you know, you see where that goes, that gifting, that particular. In other words, biblical patterns can commence in the days in which we're living. What else are we going to do, folks? Go to a church, a big church, get lost in the crowd, have some programs, you know, feel good for a moment. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But I just think that this movement, I believe that home fellowships and the intended purpose of God and the design of God could be so rich and so healthy, so rich and so healthy, I'll tell you what broke down in the 1990s. Everything was working perfect. We had churches. We would just show up places, and people would come, and they'd ask us to be pastors. And we'd say, well, we're pastors of our church in California. We could send pastors to you. And it started happening. Right around 1996, a man came into our view in Florida. He came to one of the home fellowships that we were starting. I thought this man was brilliant. He had knowledge. He had, he was just, I thought, a brilliant man. My wife, Patricia, warned me on several occasions and said, be careful. This man is not showing love 
in his life. He's brilliant. He's intellectual. That's how the scribes and Pharisees were. You know, they were very smart, very intellectual, very brilliant. They had knowledge of the Torah. And this man had knowledge. And I looked at him. He was an older man. And I thought, wow. I was kind of looking for a father figure of some sort because my pastor was gone. And I started looking at this. And Patricia warned me again. Watch out. There's no love in this man. But I couldn't see it. I was blinded. I was blinded by the revelation, by the knowledge, by, you know, his mannerisms. I loosed him into all of our churches. I let him go. I did not listen to my wife. I let him go. He went into all of our churches, and he started picking them apart because they weren't measuring up to the knowledge and the revelation that he had. And before we knew it, this man was used by the enemy to divide, to hurt the work that we spent a couple of years building. And that's what happened. And that's the truth. The very people that we raised up because of this man got into their psyche because they're away from us now. And somebody else is speaking in it that I released my fault and brought division and everything stopped. The second time my wife had her hands on my throat, choking me, saying, don't say that, was in 2009 when I said some things on the air that I shouldn't have said that did not come to pass. It was Patricia choking me. Don't say that. I didn't listen. Well, I've learned to listen. God told Abraham, listen to your wife. Do what she says. It's hard for men sometimes because we want to be the leaders. Patricia had incredible insight and discernment that I did not have. Took some pretty hardcore lessons for the man you're listening to right now to get this thing right, to understand. It's been quite a journey. quite a journey. I'm hoping that we've learned enough and are seasoned enough now that we can proceed and do it right. Because I don't see anything but the glory and the blessing of God when it's done right that I think will impact a lot of people's lives in many directions. Yeah, Sandra's right. She says, sometimes God has to open our eyes to other people so we can see things. Yeah, yeah, the blinders have to come off, no doubt about it. So you're welcome, Cindy. And um, <clears throat> Chuck says, we have all been guilty of that. Yeah, I think we've all missed the mark, you know, but this is, we, we've got to view it in the positive way of all these experiences are our training ground. It's all been training for this moment. See, the moment that we live in right now is not just a casual moment. You know and I know, now you're getting these prophetic words that this is going to be one of the most brutal winters. That came from Perry Stone. 
Perry Stone was saying that get ready, the Farmer's Almanac and even this old translation of the Bible predicted massive cold winter with the lights going out and electricity being broken like we saw in Texas. Was it last year we saw in Texas? 20-something below zero, the grid went down, people had no, their pipes were busting everywhere in Texas. Well, supposedly it's going to be happening again on even a higher level. By the winter, a new strain of virus is going to hit the earth. The forced vaccinations, the mandate, it's going to further divide people. It's not going easier. It's not getting easier. It's getting more difficult. Now, what is amazing is that in the kingdom, in the environment of tabernacles, we hardly even knew what was going on in the world because the environment that God provided was glorious. That's what home fellowships produce. I'm telling you the truth. It's not an absence of what we understand going on. It's because we do understand that we prepare and we get positioned. We don't know what the world's going to look like in January, in February. We don't know what it's going to look like in November, December. We're coming into October. October always has a surprise, doesn't it? We just don't know what tomorrow will bring. But we have been told, take this time and get positioned. Well, one of the great things to do is to do this work that we're talking about. Be active, proactive, prepare. Don't find yourself in an environment with people that, you know, don't prepare, the preacher of rapture. You don't need that. You need to be with like-minded people that understand, that can put their skills and their gifts together and come together as a family. People kept saying of our church, and I don't care what people you know, in the world, the blasphemers. I don't care what they say. When people stepped into our environment, they said, this is family. I wish Pastor Kevin would get on the air and just tell what he told me on the phone yesterday. He said, man, it was family, the family of God. And it was, and it is. And there's something really special about walking through life, having a spiritual family. Uh, thank you, Chuck. God bless you. He said, this is right on. And I, and I agree. I, I, I keep talking because Holy Spirit is just kind of, this is who we are. This is, this is the heartbeat. We're family. And that family is so unique. It's, nobody felt kind of encroached upon or burdened. or It wasn't weird. It wasn't weird. It was beautiful. It was intelligent. It was strong. I mean, we've had some very powerful men of God around and about. And I'm talking people I don't even want to talk about. It's just good. So good. So good. So pray about it. Think about it. Sandra says, no matter what we have to get his word out to others, that's what we are here for. We should go and preach my word throughout the nation, and that's our job to do. Sandra says, yes, go, preach, teach, everywhere, but have that unit 
that home fellowship, that launching pad where the fuel is constantly ministered, the anointing, the power, the spirit, the blessing, the accountability. Listen, you could get lost out there. I've been out there. I've been out there. And we're intending on going where no man's gone before. We're, we're intending on, on really breaking through. We're living, we're living in an environment right now that is perfect, really. Ruth Ann is saying that there, this is so true, the church is asleep. Yeah, so for those who are awakened, um, rather than getting, anyways, anyways, you want to experience a blessing? Open your home, home fellowship. We've raised up three pastors at this moment. We have a fourth in the wing, and uh, but probably actually three more that are being raised up. That as soon as this part of the job is moving forward, I believe God's going to continue to raise up pastors in our midst that we can ordain and purpose to go and do the work. And it should be that way. It should really be that way. And um, I think I'm done for the day. I think I'm done for the day. I was going to talk to you more about Jeremiah 51, Revelation 18, Revelation 17, Matthew 24, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I was going to go deep into the scriptures today. But you, you, you know a lot. But you need to know now, okay, how do I put wheels on what we're doing? You know, it's one thing to get on the radio and speak and another thing to be on the radio and listen. And, you know, we come into agreement. But how do we take our agreement and bring it into something that is manifestation? manifestation are you afraid that if you you would like to open your home but you don't feel like it's in order or you think there's things that you know we can help that just ask god one thing in jesus name father do you want me to open my home to receive pastors so that there could be a work done in my home, amongst my family, neighbors, friends. Do you want me to open my home? Ask. Then ask the Lord, Lord, if you had a 52-week nonstop Feast of Tabernacles, would I be a part of something like that? Or all these different speakers that they're going to be bringing into Northwest Arkansas to minister and impart is that something I would participate in and ask some questions? And then, Father, would you want us to somehow sow a gift into that ministry to help what they're doing? It's the last day of the month. Go back and listen. We're not asking every day. So this is our conversation. Sandra says, tell me and my husband first started out. We started out with the Bible study, and then it led on every week, and more people came exactly right, Sandra. That's exactly how it works. And if God is in it, and he designs it, and he blesses it, like his ark, he designed and blessed it, and wherever it went, it prospered, then this could be a very wealthy, rich thing. And I want to tell you, we do preach prosperity. But what is that prosperity? May you prosper even as your soul prospers. Our work is the soul of people. That's why Patricia's in the deliverance ministry. 
That's why we preach the Word of God, the unadulterated Word of God, because we believe it has impact and potential to transform our lives. Simple stuff, ordained by God, His power, His grace. Spiritual prosperity. You got it, Chuck. Right on. So until we hear from you all about these issues, and by the way, I'm going to give you my phone number if you're interested. You'd like to call me about the Home Fellowship Uh, That's easy. I have no problem with that. Um, I have to remember what my phone number is. There it is. All right, so it's on the screen, 858-864-8712. You want to call and talk with me? You want to have a conversation? You want us to meet in the middle of the country somewhere to talk? It doesn't matter. just want God's work to be done. God's work. We can only do so much. So it's going to require everybody putting their hands together and working together, like Nehemiah building this wall in 52 days. We have some work to do, little time to do it. Remember that, I hate to say it again, but that five months, get ready, five months, be in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing with the right people right now. Could it possibly be that during these five months, this needs to go forth? Maybe. Maybe. All right. Have a blessed day. I'm just going to say that right now. Shalom, everybody. Please, please, please pray about what we talked about today. In Jesus' name. I'll see you tomorrow. Lord willing, haven't vanished yet. God bless you. Till tomorrow.